And uh, let, me, let me start us off by praying. Father, we are thankful that we can stand here today and open the Word, open those ancient words that have been bathed in blood for millennia. And Father, it's a privilege for us, even when we forget it, even when we're not really appreciating it, Lord, we know it's still true. And we want that to be true today, Lord, as we open these words, we want them to speak to us. We don't want man to speak to us. We don't want our thoughts, but we want your Holy Spirit to speak today, Father, and enliven this word, help us apply it where necessary, help us to be changed, Lord, and help us to honor you by the fact that you're regenerating us day by day for your purposes and for your kingdom, and in Christ's name we ask all of these things, amen. As some of you uh, know, our church has uh, a little bit supported um, a ministry that does uh, work in Pakistan, and I, I heard from our contact here in the States yesterday, Jerry, uh, that everything that's going on in that area with Afghanistan and Pakistan and, uh, has really opened up some doors of opportunity for them to minister there in that culture in a new way, and so we're still standing with them as they hand out scripture and minister in a very difficult Muslim context, and I just wanted to let you know that we're going to continue to follow and, and see what happens with them uh, in that situation, and of course, we can always be praying for the Christians in Afghanistan. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible thing that's going on there. I've seen it up close and personal, and uh, it's unimaginable the things that are going to happen and are happening now. So uh, we want to be humbled by that, you know? We want, to, we want to understand that our lives are pretty straightforward. And today, what I want to do is I want to take a bit of a detour from where, where Nick has been, and I want to work out of Proverbs 26 today. I love the Proverbs, and I do love the model of reading a chapter out of Proverbs every day. Of course, I'm not always faithful to that, but I think it's a great model because there's just enough chapters in there because there's so many things in Proverbs that help us see with right perspective in life. And things will come to you in your life when you're dealing with yourself and with people like, bam, that's exactly what's happening right now. And that's what I love about the Proverbs is it, it, it really does... Uh, give us wisdom, godly wisdom, because uh, not only in the topic for today, which I'm calling the fool and foolishness, not only do we have to deal with a fool, but we have to deal with our own foolishness, yes, because we are all bent toward foolishness, carnality, and not following the principles of God. So um, we're going to look at this in the context, too, of our theme for the year at cross point is testify. We want to testify of the goodness of God to those around us. Well, as we testify to others, both in action and word, we find it's not always an easy proposition, right, to bear forth the truth of who Christ is and how He can regenerate us and make us new again and pull us out of our darkness and sin and oppression. Um, because we we all work around and live around people who are not only foolish, but some who are, we would just call fools. And there's 
times when it's not possible, really, in the short run anyway, to minister to the fool, if I can put it that way. That our ideals of sharing the gospel with everyone hit a reality sometimes, and we hit some walls. And so I want us to just consider this theme today. This is one of my more favorite chapters out of Proverbs. Usually when you're dealing with Proverbs, it's easier just to do it topically and say, okay, I want to I focus on this topic and then just pull the different Proverbs out and line them all nice and neat to make your point. But when we're working through Scripture, it's always at least best to start by reading through and that's what we do here. We, we exposit the passage as it's presented to us in the best way possible. And so this particular proverb I want to do in this way, uh, at least down about halfway through today. And there's a few different angles to look at this topic of the fool. What's the fool like? How does the fool behave? How does the fool think? And what are we to do in response to the fool? And by virtue of that, our own foolishness and recognize our own foolishness in rejecting God's wisdom and choosing foolishness instead, because that's our bent as people. The process of sanctification, the process of um, being more like Christ should increasingly cause us to work in ways that are full of wisdom and not foolishness, and that's what we desire to see and do. So we're going to go down through these passages, and it doesn't lend itself to a nice little three-point sermon like we generally uh, want to do. But I think you'll see some relevant ideas come out of here uh, that are very helpful, and we'll try to tie it, tie it together. There are just dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of passages about this topic, about God's wisdom, about the foolishness of us. And so obviously in this topic today, this is just enough to really whet your appetite. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The fool does not recognize God and lives a life of evil. One thing I do want you to do today is um, it's okay to let your mind wander a little bit with regard to this topic because maybe as I give some examples or we talk about a certain viewpoint, someone will pop to your mind. That's okay. That's what I actually want you to do. Not so we can think of them in a denigrative matter, but, but maybe to the point of saying, yes, I've, I've tried with this person, I've done this, I've responded this way, and it just never works. You're going to see that's because that's normal, not because you're incompetent in your testifying. Sometimes that's the way it is. So really my proposition today is, is twofold. Um, first, that fools are all around us. As we attempt to witness and live around them, it is often a waste of time to go on at length trying to witness to them. And notice I said, go on at length, because I think we are responsible to reach out to everybody around us that we can. But to go on at length with a fool is, is not really wisdom. And secondly, that our own foolishness can do great damage to our testimony and our relationship with God. When we are seen in the likeness of doing really foolish things, that usually regards sin and temptation. And actually, I have a third proposition that I added on here late, uh, is that tolerating fools and their antics in church can be devastating. We're going to talk about that a little bit. 
because sometimes there's foolishness and fools that we allow to exist within the context of a church, and it's a really bad idea. You know, we don't like to think negatively about people, do we? We, we, we always want to elevate our thinking about how we see people. And that's a good thing, that we understand we're lost, we're sinners, we're like, therefore, there but the grace of God, there go I. I don't, I don't want to denigrate people in my estimation of who they are because they're just as important to God as I am, of course. So it feels unspiritual. But that doesn't really change the reality of dealing with people like, like this and dealing with life as it is. You know, we can take the extreme. We mentioned what's going on in the Middle East. You can, you can think the best you want about the Taliban, but they are what they are. And they need to be stopped with violence. So, in a way, our lives are like that. We have to deal with life as it is. And so sometimes we have to respond to foolish people in a certain way that maybe doesn't make us always feel comfortable. In the context of the church, I bet you've never imagined your elders sitting around discussing concerns in the church and people and maybe describing people as fools. Well, I can't remember we've actually maybe used that term. However, however, because of the responsibility your elders have, we have to discuss things going on in a church that are harmful potentially because of foolishness or fools that have come and become part of your church in some way. It happens. In my decades as an elder, we've pushed people out of churches that are homicidal, pedophiles, adulterers, swindlers, troublemakers, etc. Most times you don't even know about it. Sounds pretty, pretty harsh, doesn't it? You want to be an elder? Or we got some openings. So, but the point is, even as, as church leaders, our job is to protect the flock. Our job is to not cater to fools, not cater to foolishness for the benefit of the flock. You know, the church doesn't exist for the world. The church exists for the flock of God. And we want to embrace people who want to become part of the kingdom of God. And so we have to keep that in mind. We're here to worship God. We're here to please Him. We're here to hear the Word. We're not here to cater to the world. And so as we interact with the world, we have to play with that middle ground very carefully. And sometimes we have to deal with fools that would come and be part of us. I'm going to be using uh, a few concepts from a pastor named um, Bob Diefenbaugh. He's been a pastor for like 30 or 40 years. And, and he has some thoughts online that help me arrange my thoughts a little bit out of the passage, um, and, but I still want to go through here and put together what I feel like is helpful in a very practical way. So we're going to read a couple lines at a time as we go through this, and I'll make some comments, and you can, you can think, you can be processing what this says, because there's a lot in here. And so we'll move through these passages, and uh, I'll, I'll interject some thoughts. And So let's start with Proverbs 26, verses 1 through 3. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. 
Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. In verse 1, we see the analogy being made of snow and summer, rain and harvest. These things, these things are seen as antithetical to the good part. Um, we, don't, we don't see snow in the summer. We don't want rain during the harvest because it damages, it damages the crop or getting the crop off. So honor is not fitting for a fool. So us giving honor to a person that's foolish or encouraging them in their foolishness is not fitting. If you jump down and look at verse 8, this kind of bounces back uh, with verse 1. And it says, Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. What, is, what does that mean, binds the stone in a sling? Well, if you remember, the kind of sling that was used in Old Testament times um, had, had the center part where the stone was put. Of course, it's just like a, it's like a sling today. But the picture is, is of sewing that stone in the sling so what? It doesn't come out. You can swing that thing around all you want and try to throw it. Nothing is going to happen. And that's what it's like loading up a fool with honor and promoting them and encouraging them in their foolishness. It's not going to work. It's not going to be effective. And it's not ultimately going to bring any honor to God. So I'm trying to think of examples, you know, practical examples. What, is, what does that mean? How do I give honor to a fool? Well, there's a lot of ways we can think about it, but probably one that we could all agree on is when we elect a fool to public office, yeah? There's a lot of that. When, when we elect somebody that's just not competent, manages to get elected, what happens? Things just don't go well. And all the honor and all the deference in the world for that person doesn't change how they operate. And it can often come and crash and burn right in front of us because they're just foolish. They follow the wisdom of man and not the wisdom of God. They don't build up a country or what, whoever voted them in. They tear it down. They use the office for themselves, for their own promotion or whatever it might be. And that's fools. That's foolishness to promote and honor that kind of person. And we all know people around us that often enjoy that honoring that really don't deserve it. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Second verse, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. What does that mean? That doesn't make sense on its face. But if you look at it a little bit, you have the picture of these small birds. What are these small birds when they fly? It's kind of erratic, isn't it? Swallows, they fly and they flit. And it doesn't seem like they have a purpose in what they're doing. And the fools are often like that. We might use the word, they're very flighty. Ideas are flighty and nonsensical. And that's what fools are often like. They pronounce negative things without a cause. That's what this, um, the curse causeless. Foolish people generally are more negative, right, than positive. They love tearing everything down. You know that person in your life or your family, and they just tear down. And they even make pronouncements about you and I, maybe, especially as a Christian, that, um, you know, this is what's going to happen. And this passage says that 
it's not going to happen. The nonsense they spew, eventually you'll be, it will be seen as being not true. Personal example of that, um, when I was young and I was taking a civil service test to become a fireman, I was told by a family member of mine, uh, as I was raised in a rather strict environment about the faith matters, and I was told, oh, if you become a fireman, you'll lose your Christian faith. You'll lose your salvation. I'm like, why? Well, because you'll be spending 24 hours a day with people of the world, and that will eventually get to you, and you'll lose your faith. So here we are at the other end of that. What happened? Did that happen? Of course not. That was just sheer, utter foolishness to say something like that. And then I didn't follow it, of course. It seemed foolish to me at the time. But we're prone to things like knowing what the truth is. It was almost like a curse. This is what's going to happen to you if you do that. Another one might be in years gone by, before Crosspoint was birthed, and we were at uh, Grace Community Church. We'd been around just a couple years. So this has been a long time ago. And as we were getting ready to build a building and move forward, there was a couple in the church that uh, came up, nice couple, they'd known me since I was a child, came up and they were leaving the church and they wanted to be sure to let me know that God showed them that, that Grace Community Church was not going to last. And so they were leaving. Grace Community Church wasn't going to last. Well, where are we today? Ridiculous. Now, was that a curse? No. But that was a foolish pronouncement by somebody for what reasons? Reasons of their own. I guess it justified the reasons they were leaving. So fools always say things to justify something in their own mind. And, the, and now think about it. These two examples are people who are believers, involve people who are believers. Foolishness, foolish sayings, foolish pronouncements. But the Bible says that when there's no cause, there's no real truth behind accusations, then it's not going to come to anything. Don't worry about it. People say things about you, don't worry about it. Slough it off. If it's not true, we have nothing to worry about. Because that's what fools do. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Sometimes we wish we could do that stuff, but we don't actually do that stuff. But we're painting a picture here of really, ultimately, what what they deserve. It's not telling us to go do it. It's saying what they really deserve. Fools are undisciplined and often only respond to severe pushback or results of their action. Even then they often resist. Isn't that the truth? When you think of utterly foolish people, they do, sometimes even the, decision, the results of the decisions of their life never wake them up. Never wake them up. And we might talk about some examples of that a little later. But in chapter 17 of Proverbs, in verse 10, it says, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And in chapter 1, it said, Because they hated knowledge and, it did, not, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof so they shall eat the fruit of their own way. And this is so true many times in dealing with people 
uh, in different ways that we do, our family, uh, people that we try to encourage in the faith. It's as if no matter what we do, we can't make sense to them, we can't help them see the wisdom of God, and they keep choosing again and again to do what they do because foolishness is bound in their heart. What's, even a child, what's it say? That foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And if you think your sweet little two- or three-year-old is going to bypass that reality in life, you're about to get woken up because it's true, and all of you can attest to that. I remember one of the families at Grace that we loved so much, they had, they had several children, and their first child was just like perfect, perfect. Life was easy. And when the second child came along, that was not like that. And the mother even admitted a few years later, she said, you know, I never really, I never really believed that about children, that they were foolish and they were born sinners. She said, but I believe it now. <laughs> life teaches us that, and life teaches us these things about people who are foolish, how that foolishness is bound up into people. Sometimes it's very deep, and sometimes in us it's very deep. So we should never expect change in others that we're not willing to embrace ourselves either. Okay. Oh, so I did have some examples of this severe kind of fool. And you hate to say it, you're not picking on people, but we can see it. Criminals, addicts, hoarders, all kinds of people with very severe problems are generally the fault of themselves. Addictive behaviors often develop into a neurobiological chemical problem in the brain. Yes, I, I, I see that and I agree with that. But in its infancy and original space of time, these people have a problem. And their foolishness begets foolishness, begets sin, begets problem, sometimes intractable problem. What, what are we seeing now? Our culture generally tends to coddle people like this, because we don't know what to do with them. You know, there is, no, there is no answer outside of the wisdom of God for people caught in those problems, right? We want to tell ourselves there is, but the world struggles with answers because only God has the answer to these problems, and it's a condition of the heart. All we can do is kind of patch up the, the symptoms and help out here and there and make things a little more civil. Yes, that's fine, but people have been involved in foolishness and sometimes we have to be careful not to enable their foolishness. A great example, you know, some of the cities that give uh, needles to drug addicts to prevent HIV or hepatitis. You know, I've thought a lot about that over the years, but I just think that is a sign of enabling foolishness because there's no expectation that this foolishness is going to end. It's done for a good reason, but I don't think it, it, it entails the wisdom of God in that way. So extreme people sometimes are extremely difficult to help because their foolishness runs deep and you can beat them on the back a hundred times and they're just not willing to change. So at some point we have to decide the hard decision. How do I stay involved with this person or people? Because their foolishness is just taking them down the river anyway. Okay, let's go on to verse 4 and 5. I like these two, these two verses. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. 
Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, when you're new to the Proverbs, you're like, well, which is it? This is a Bible contradiction that proves to me there is no God. This is ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous. Because the phrase I always use, and I probably wore my children out with it when they ask advice on a certain thing, or perhaps you, when you ask something, my first answer is often, well, it depends. Lots of things depend. Depend on context, depend on who the person is, who I am, what I know, what they know. All of these things in dealing with life's issue often is it depends. We don't like that. We, we like what? Legalism. We like structure. We like rules. We like to say, this is the truth. Everybody walk in the truth as I understand it. That's just easy. That requires little work. But the Bible shows us that dealing with people takes context, takes some thought. Because if we enter into foolishness with people, we'll be just like them. And we learn in passages to come, many times we shouldn't be answering them. Like it says in verse 5, if you try to answer them, it's not going to make any difference. They'll think, man, are you stupid? They're so much smarter than you. And it doesn't pay off. So we do and we don't. It depends. Verse 7 of chapter 1 of Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the Bible is really very clear on wisdom and foolishness. There's no in-between, really. It's one or the other. And we have this choice. If you think about it, every day we have a choice to make because we generally know what foolishness is. We know what the things that we do that we shouldn't do. Maybe even if they're not overtly sinful, what we might say. Foolishness like sloth and not taking care of the things we should take care of. Maybe we don't engage with our family as much as we should. All those things we kind of instinctively know we should be doing, we don't do it. That, in a way, is foolishness because it's not befitting what God would have us do ultimately and it's not befitting of a character that's changing every day to be more like Christ. And that's what we want. So the beginning of it is fearing God, not afraid of God, but a fear in the sense of understanding God is all knowledgeable, all powerful, and all able to help us in this situation. And that His Word will provide us everything we need to live. So in the it depends situation... Um, a response is often necessary for the sake of righteousness, I would say. So sometimes we don't say anything. We're just going to let somebody bloviate. We're going to let them go off into their foolishness because we just, we, maybe we know them well. Maybe it's a family member you know well and you're like, you know, we've been trying for 40 years. It doesn't make any difference. So you just give them space. You get off their backs. But sometimes it's very important to respond for the sake of righteousness. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 12, and I want to read that. Matthew 12, verse 22. Because if you remember, Jesus ended up being in quite a battle with the Pharisees who were legalistic. They, they followed the law, and they expected everyone else to follow the law as they understood it at that time. But that's not what Jesus was about. Matthew 12, starting with verse 22. 
Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So here are these fools saying that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. So flip, if you look down at verse 33, you're going to see what Jesus' answer is to this because he answers these fools. And he does this on more than one occasion. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he calls the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And you know, there's another passage where Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and he, he asks the Pharisees, he says, So um, would a man not go rescue his lamb on the Sabbath day if he were, if he were missing or injured? Would he not help help that person, and he's trying to make the point that the law is more important than helping people and ministering to people, he's answering their foolishness. Because it's important, was important for him to do that as Christ, but it's important sometimes for us to stand up and say things to people in the face of injustice and racism and abuse and criminality. We don't have to keep our mouth all quiet all the time because we don't want to offend people. It's important for us to stand up and say stuff to people sometime. And you know, as a, as a fireman working 24-hour shifts, believe me, you get to know people. I mean, at least on an eight-hour job, you can hold your peace and run home. But when you're working 24 hours and you're tired and you're in this situation, you find that you have to learn how to deal with it. Not that I dealt with it any better than anybody else. There are many times... Sitting at the kitchen table, things would come up, and I would literally get up out of the table and say, you know what, I'm not having this conversation. And they knew why. Now, I didn't do that often, but sometimes fools need to see there's a righteous standard, and we're not going to encourage them, we're not going to countenance it, and we're not going to put up with it. And we need to be strong to do that. And you need to be prepared to do that. That's half of it. A lot of times we, we get following down this rabbit hole with people, in their foolishness, especially as young people, and we don't know how to abort it, and we end up harming ourselves. So you got to be looking for it. All right, let's get on to verse 6. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Well, that's kind of another odd way to, odd way to put things. But here's a way to translate that to make it better understandable, I think, for us. Because fools are untrustworthy, they will betray you and misrepresent things. Some commentators uh, used, said that you should never hire a fool. Why? Because they're untrustworthy. They'll betray you. But even in our working with people and ministering and testifying to people, we have to kind of be careful about that. What, do we, what level do we allow people to be involved in our lives who are patently foolish, who have a track record of that, that we can see. If Down in verse 10, it kind of addresses this too. It says, like an archer who wounds everyone, 
is one who hires a passing fool or a drunk. So that's a great picture. You've got a, what's, what's, this, what's this picture here? This picture is of somebody who's an archer just standing around in the city just shooting people for entertainment or whatever. Foolish people are like that, especially those the people that are loud mouths, that think they know everything. They're hurting people. And by entrusting a fool with your business, that's what you're doing ultimately if you're not careful because they're not trustworthy. I think there is something here, too, to consider on a less obvious level for the church regarding foolishly putting people in places of responsibility for the wrong reason. Foolishly putting people in the wrong places for the wrong reason. Um, To, quote, give them a ministry. To, quote, help people grow in their faith. And I may be an odd guy out in that. I don't know. but over the years, I've seen several times when that has gone awry. Because ministry within a church is not a nothing, okay? And when you put people in positions in ministry in the church, they should have some reasonable expectation that they're called to do that. Even way down to children's ministry. That's why we have a fairly restricted entry into children's ministry in the church, to protect the flock, protect our children. So there's this dynamic tension between allowing people to do ministry in the church, but yet making sure there's not foolishness behind it or they have foolish concepts. I mean, you all know, all of you that have any kind of a church background, especially in bigger churches, very common. Somebody will profess faith in Christ, and in just a few months, they're doing some men's ministry or some kind of thing, and I'm like, what are you doing? Because we got a spot we need filled. That can lead to heartache and problems in a church. And so this principle of not entrusting people in areas that we shouldn't yet, we have to be careful about. We want to give people time to grow in maturity in their faith before they're given responsibility. It's not they're necessarily even bad people. It's just not wisdom. This is why at Crosspoint, if we don't have the right people to do a ministry that we're not doing, We don't do it, right? I think that's a relief to the church too, is we don't do ministry just because we want to do ministry and then we have everybody worn out. I really believe, and I'm so thrilled about the VBS because that's something our church gets behind and you all work so hard. And unfortunately, I've been like gone the last two years with VBS. (laughs) It makes me feel bad because I know how hard you are all working at that. But we could not replicate that every month, right? It's too hard, but it's so fruitful, it's worth doing exactly like you're doing it. So we're not going to do other ministry for the sake of doing other ministry until we're certain there are people to do it, it's in our heart to do it, and we're called to do it. So I will always be in that position, because we, what we do, we want to do as well as we can and not be all watered down and worn out. I think that's not wisdom. So it's foolishness to do otherwise. Verse 7 kind of follows along with this idea about, you know, giving people responsibility. Uh, Like a lame man's leg, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. People that are foolish are not able to process God's wisdom very well or at all. Verse 8, we've already mentioned that. Verse 9 another one that's not obvious on its face. 
Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. I think the proper way to see this, because I struggled with this first, I thought, what is that talking about? The, the, a drunk person has a thorn in their hand. But I, I think the proper rendering of this is not a thorn in the hand like this, it's a thorn in the hand like this. It's a weapon. Just like the picture of the archer. It's a weapon of how the fool can hurt people, say things, do things with their mouth, um, as in verse 6 and 7. All right, verse 10. We already mentioned that. Let's keep moving down. Here's a great one. This is awesome. Kids like this one probably. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Isn't that a... That's an awesome picture, really. Because it's true. And think about... Can I have my water? And think about your own life here. Just, just stop and think about your own life. Thank you. And think about the things that have ensnared you over and over and over and over again, maybe even as a believer. And doesn't it feel like that? Like, I'm so sick of myself. I go do that sickening thing that I hate. Say, I lose my temper. And I have a habit of losing my temper. And I hate that. I walk away, I've lost my temper. And it's just like I walked back to a pile of vomit and ate it again. But I think the import of the image is, is, is important. Because in God's eyes, that's what it looks like. Because it's nasty. Foolishness is nasty. And when it's, it tends to be repetitive, and it tends to bring us down, and it looks like that picture right there. Chapter 27 of Proverbs says, Though you pound a fool in a mortar and pestle, you know what that is? They used to grind stuff up in a mortar and pestle. Could be this big around. Maybe we should think about it like that. Though you pound him in a mortar and pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. Don't you feel like that yourself sometime? Like, man, I, I beat myself up with this sin or this problem, and, and it's like I'm not going to change. But see, we have the hope of change, and we know God is changing us. We all know what this feels like with addictions, doing the things that we hate over and over. Think about Paul in Romans 7. What did he say? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's this I keep on doing. This struggle for personal sanctification, for overcoming sin. It's a struggle. Even the Apostle Paul had some kind of thing that he was struggled with and said, man, I don't want to do it, but I just keep doing it, and I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it. That is foolishness. That We are bound in foolishness, but we need God to help us release from that. On to verse 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for him. There is more hope for a fool than for him. I read this in a new way yesterday when I was finishing this up. And I thought, so, so here we've talked about all the bad things about a fool and foolishness. And this verse takes it another step higher or lower in that the person that is wise in his own eyes that there's, more, there's less hope for him than a fool. So this verse elevates the problem of ego to a very high spot. And I think that's often the crowning picture of a, the ultimate fool is what? They think they're so smart. They think they're so wise. They're so brilliant. 
And what have they essentially done is they put themselves on the throne of their own life. They're fully in charge. They know, even if in the back of their mind they're not certain, they will justify what they do because they are king of their life. And they've dethroned God, any chance of God being on the throne of their life. So I think that's why it becomes hopeless in some cases for people. Seems hopeless. Because they are in charge of their life. An egotist is often the worst of all. Proverbs 21 talks about the scoffer, says, Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. You can think about that person in your life or life that you've known in your family and you think, Lord, help me not be like that. Help me never be like that in my own mind. I've, I've prayed too, and I can't find necessarily cause and effect, but God knows. I've, all, I've made that prayer a few times in my life, the scary one, where I've said, God, do whatever it takes to break me. Break my ego, break my desires, so that your will can be lived out through me. Now, can I look back at the hard things in my life and say, well, that was it. That was God's breaking of me, perhaps. Or maybe it was the result of my own foolishness that God allowed that broke me to become more dependent upon Him, to force me into His Word more, to force me into serving His people more. I don't know, but I think sometimes it's a good prayer to make. God, break me. Because I know in this day, when I'm not feeling the pain or desperation necessarily, I want to say that prayer in all honesty because I know I need it. And I know from your word that often it's the only way that causes me to change. I think you all would agree that likely in your most desperate moments in your life is the time God came and intervened for you and changed you and changed your heart and caused you to see the world in a different way. So we need that breaking. We need it to happen because the foolishness of carnal humanity is, I'm in charge, I'm on the throne, I know what to do. We need that broken, really at whatever costs. I follow a, a young, young man in prison for, we're, I think we're on year 13 now from Lima here, and he's come to an extremely strong faith in Christ in prison. It's been amazing to watch. And he gets out in a couple years. And I'm excited about him coming and becoming part of us because it's amazing. And he says, going to prison was the best thing that ever happened to me because if it didn't happen, if God hadn't have done that, I would be dead. But God broke me and brought me to a place of humility where he could speak to me. Wow, what a great testimony that is, huh? And there's a lot of people that need to hear that testimony. But scoffers refuse to be broken. And sometimes when you're trying to work with people, you need to recognize at some point, like, you know, this is like impenetrable, and, and maybe I need to move on. All right, let's kind of get this wrapped up here. Again, the next three verses, 13, 14, 15, I just, I love these. I love these verses so very much. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Isn't that true of some people? Isn't it that sluggard, the foolishness of being a sluggard is almost shocking sometimes? That they don't even have enough energy to feed themselves because they're so lazy, they're so caught up in whatever comfort they think they have at the time. And, uh, and uh, honestly, I, I see this in my work with people, in my medical practice, you know. I, I would never say that. I would never say, wake up, you sluggard. You have all these medical problems. You're doing nothing about it. You're dying. You know, you have this, and you have infections, and all this going on. You can't do the right thing. You don't choose to do the right thing. It's just foolishness, ultimately, because the state of the lost human heart is bent that way, and it's hard to wake up from that. So when you see these behaviors in people, it tells you something. You know, you look like a sluggard to me. You know, I think maybe there's even more foolishness in your life than you're showing. As we close, I, I did think of uh, another workplace example. It's not profound, but I remember kind of being surprised by it early on. Of course, I'm a, I'm a young, gung-ho fireman, you know, I've got my dream full-time job, and, and I want to train 24-7, you know. And one day, I, I talk our officer into taking our little, uh, little grass fire truck out, and it's got a winch on the front, a little winch, you know, to pull a cable out, and Maybe, I don't know, hook onto a car that's about ready to go into a river or something and hold it firm. And I'm like, how long has it been since that winch has been exercised? You know, we got to maintain. Oh, nobody even knew how long it had been. So I talked them into taking the truck out. Let's wrap it around a tree and let's tug on a little bit. Well, what happens? Of course, it breaks. The cable breaks. The first thing that happens is the older guy sluggard that wanted to sit in a chair all day was upset with me. Look what you did. Now look what you did. Duh, if you hadn't opened your mouth up about all this. And I'm thinking, but wait a minute. That could have happened on a call when we're supposed to be ready to help someone. And so that was kind of my first initiation in a way to how sluggard people can be so foolish to a degree that you, you, you can hardly believe. And of course, that pattern maintained itself throughout the time I knew this person. So you had to work around it. I had to be careful. I had to be aware. You know what? The sluggard might actually endanger me someday because of that. So takeaways today, I hope to make you think about is to learn to recognize foolishness in others and ourselves. Learn to see it. It's okay to see it. It's okay to talk about it with someone that you're in relationship that you can trust that's appropriate. Learn to recognize it by some of the signs that we've seen today. And I listed three. One, by the obvious disregard of God's principles. Two, by the logical conclusions and outcomes of their ideas. Sometimes if you have an idea about something you've been engaging in for a long time and it's not working out, 
Think about it. And by the inconsistencies and insincerity in their ideas. And here's a point at which I think it's often, if you are, if you are keen to it and you're loving, sometimes you can point out inconsistencies to people in a way that, where you want to be helpful. Because fools have a lot of inconsistencies in their ideas. They're not consistent. Second takeaway to, would be learn God's wisdom by being in His Word. Read this thing. See yourself in it and change accordingly. Third, expect to deal with fools and foolishness and get better at it. Don't just run from it. And finally, don't suffer fools for very long. You know, there's a lot of opportunity for ministry out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people to come alongside of. There's a lot of people that come here. There's a lot of people in your circle. There's a lot of people in your families that don't be afraid to make a decision to retract yourself from someone. Maybe you wouldn't call them a fool, but that you're not making some sort of progress with because sometimes it just doesn't work. And as we testify about who Christ is in the world today, we have to deal with the world as it is. And it's not always very fun, but this is true life. This is real life. This is the sinfulness we see in other people because we've been there. We, we were sinners. We'd be right there with them if it wasn't for God's grace. And we want them out of it. But sometimes we can beat them on the back with a gospel a hundred times and it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. And it's okay. Move on. In the meantime, let us not be fools. Let us not be fooled. And let us learn how to get out of our own foolishness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word can open up to us your eyes of wisdom in life. Lord, we pray your spirit would do the work that no one else can do. Lord, you can give us direction about all the small things that we're dealing with all around us in a way another person can't. Father, we want to honor you. We want to testify to others. We want your kingdom to grow. But Lord, we also want to do it in a way that's effective, that honors you, and does not make a place for foolishness or fools in our lives. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our church. We, we pray you'd continue to give us wisdom as we go forward in this difficult culture. Help us to be very loving and patient people. Help us to honor you, and Lord, strengthen us for the day, we ask. Amen.